following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So this morning, Isaiah 65, and Lawson is going to come and read this passage, I think. If he's, here he is. All right, let me get you the reading, buddy. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they be build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they, are, they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Good job, buddy. Good job. Nice work. Well done. Good job. You can take that. All right. Good job, Lawson. All right. Now... Who here is a fan of The Good Place? Anyone seen that program? Any show of hands? The Good Place? Any fans of The Good Place? Yeah, it's a pretty fun program. Uh, it's pretty quirky. So it's about these four people who die and they go to The Good Place. At least they think it's The Good Place. Uh, spoiler alert, it turns out at the end of the first season that it's not The Good Place at all. It's actually The Bad Place and their punishment is to be tortured by each other psychologically for all eternity. And so through this crazy series of events, uh, these four people then, through the seasons, they try to find their way to the real good place. And finally, in the, in the second to last episode, I think it is, of the whole series, they finally get to the real good place and they arrive there and they find that it's actually pretty boring. That this good place, it's a place where you can pretty much do anything you want, so there's just parties all day and just endless go-kart racing and endless frozen yogurt. But people have just become happiness zombies because there's just so much pleasure and it's just always you're doing the same thing all the time. So eventually that just gets boring, right? So people are just actually quite bored. The whole thing is anticlimactic. And so these four people, then they create a door to escape the good place. And then I think they just go off into some realm of non-existence is how it ends, because the good place actually was not the place that you really want to be. So in the end, the conclusion is um, the good place is actually not all it's cracked up to be. And why would you want to go there? That's the conclusion of that TV series, I think. Now, I know that you're not supposed to get your theology from TV, right? I know. 
but I think most people do. And so I wonder whether there is this lingering little suspicion that some Christians have that maybe the place we're going is not actually that amazing. That maybe if it's just endless pleasure, then after a while, doesn't that get boring? Like too much of a good thing just eventually is just going to wear off and then we're just going to become happiness zombies. And sometimes I think the way that, that, that final place, whatever we want to call it, the way it gets talked about sometimes sounds like it's not going to be that incredible. Like sometimes we talk about it like it's just going to be endless worship songs all the time. You know, like I love singing worship songs. That's great. But endless choruses of Waymaker, like for 10,000 years, that's a lot. That's a lot of, you know, repeated choruses round and you're just stuck in an endless loop of choruses of worship songs. It's going to get hard. Sometimes I think we talk about it like we're going to be, it's all going to be very restful and like we're going to be lounging around and not doing much at all. And all of you active relaxers, you know, you're like, I want to be doing something. I'm feeling antsy. Oh, let's go. I want, I, want to, I want to get out there. I don't want to just lounge around with the angels all day, you know? So I feel like sometimes we talk about this good place or heaven or whatever, and we're kind of like, I, I don't know. Do I want to go there? What's the alternative? You know, any other options? And so this is where we need passages like Isaiah 65 to come back and have a look at what the Bible actually says about our final destination and to look at these biblical images and to, to allow that to kind of rest with us so that we have an accurate picture of where we're going and what it's going to be like. And this is exactly what Isaiah gives us. In the second to last chapter of this book, he paints a stunning picture of the final destination for God's people. And he uses a lot of images to do it, but the idea is this is the place that finally when Jesus returns, so we're looking towards the future, when Jesus finally returns, this is the place that God is preparing for us. And there's a, there's a lot about that place we're never going to know. Okay, so we, we've got to own that up front. We, there's a lot of mystery. There's, a lot of, there's always going to be a lot of unanswered questions until we get there. But we can know some things. We can know some things for sure because the Bible's revealed them to us. We can know some things for certain. Those are the things we want to focus on. Those are the things we want to get excited about, right? So this is all I'm hoping this morning is that we could just get a little bit excited about our final destination, the final chapter of the whole story. This is where it is. What do you think? We up for that? Kids, you keen? All right, let's do it. So here we go. Now, look, here's the first thing. In Isaiah 65, verse 17, look at what, he, look at what God calls this place. Whereas the first thing is to actually call this what it is. He says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Notice what this place is not called. It's not called the good place. It's not even called a better place. Do you hear that sometimes? Right? Even Christians sometimes, oh, you know, they're in a better place. No, they're not. They're in this place. It's got a name. Let's use the name. It's called the new heavens and the new earth. Now, sometimes... I will call it the new creation. That's just a word that means the same thing because heavens, the word heavens in this sense, it doesn't mean the place you go when you die. It just means the sky, All right? The heavens and the earth, the heavens is everything above the earth. It's the sky, it's the atmosphere, it's space. So just like in Genesis 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, that's what it was. It was the atmosphere, it was, it was space, and it was the earth. It, this is the entire universe. So simply what God is saying is this is the world, this is the universe, this is the cosmos that we inhabit. That is the place. 
that is the place we're going to inhabit. Sometimes I think we get the idea that when Jesus returns, he's going to take us from earth to some other place, some far away realm where it's kind of airy fairy floating on clouds, dressing up like angels kind of realm. But what Isaiah is saying is, no, 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 the final place, the final destination for God's people is going to be right here. It's the new creation. It's the new heavens and the new earth. And that word new, by the way, new heavens and new earth, it doesn't mean something totally different. It doesn't mean something categorically different. It has the sense in this passage of renewed. So when God says new heavens, new earth, he means renewed, renewed creation. Just as God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth, so in the end, he is going to recreate the heavens and the earth. He's going to renew, he's going to restore, he's going to redeem, he's going to reimagine this whole world, this whole cosmos to make it what he's always intended it to be. Now, I don't know whether everything that we see in this world is going to be part of that new creation. I don't know whether New Zealand will still be New Zealand. And the new creation, maybe, maybe it will have some of the same geographic features, but we know it's going to be a very physical world. It's not going to be this just ethereal kind of existence. It will be the kind of place that you can touch and feel and stand upon. It will be terra firma. It will be a very earthy new creation. There's still going to be mountains, right? There's still going to be oceans. There's going to be rivers. There's going to be scenery. There's going to be geography. Maybe not all of the natural features as we know them, God may just have something to do that we, we can't even imagine, but it will still be this creation. We find that hard to get our heads around because this world is so broken now and we're in the middle of a pandemic and we think, you know, how could this world, why would we want this world to be our eternal home? I want to get away from this world, but that's only because we lack the biblical imagination to think about what God is one day going to bring about, a world where there is no sickness, where there is no pain, where all of that is gone. And there is just the presence of God that so infuses this creation that earth itself becomes heaven in that sense. And heaven becomes earth. And God dwells with his people. So when we think about our final destination, let's not throw around airy-fairy terms and let's not think about airy-fairy places. It's a very real place. It's the new heavens and the new earth. And it's real and it's practical and it's tangible and it's... We're going to, you know, it's substantial. We're going to feel it. And it will be this earth renewed and turned into paradise. That's the kind of image that we need to have in our minds. So all I want to do here is just go through and be a little bit of a tour guide for you and point out some of the features of the new creation. What's this new world going to be like when God brings it about? Well, have a look in verse 20. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Now, God, I don't think God is literally saying there's going to be people who die at a hundred years old in the new heavens and the new earth, right? So that, that's a figure of speech. What he's saying is when you get to a hundred years old, you're just starting out, right? So, here, so in this life, if you turn a hundred, that's a big deal. Right, that's huge. You get a letter from the queen, that's a huge thing. And the new creation, when you turn 100, everyone's going to be like, what? Who cares? You know, I'm not going to throw your party, you're only 100. You're just starting out. You know, come back to me when you're 10,000, when you're 10 million years old, then we're going to have a party, except it's all going to be a party, so you're not going to be worried. 
but you are just going to be starting out at 100 years old. And, and life is going to go on and on and on because you will have this newly resurrected body. You're not just going to be a spirit. You're not going to be floating around. You're going to have a body. It's going to be real. It's going to be physical. It's still going to be you. Yes, you're still going to be you. You'll be recognizable as you. It's just that you will have a perfected body. You will all be the perfect age of 42. And you will have these bodies that are just incorruptible. There's, they'll be immortal. Yeah, nothing's, you're not going to get sick anymore. That you're not going to, no more surgery. No more visits to the doctor. No more aches and pains. No more bodies just wearing down and then eventually dying. It's not going to happen. You will live on and on and on in this immortal, eternal existence in your resurrected body. This, uh, this language, this phrase around the, the infant, never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days. It reminds me of family in our church, the Robinson family. And quite a few years ago, they, they had a baby named Samuel. And Kelly found out while she was pregnant that Samuel was not likely to live very long. He had a chromosomal disorder, and it meant that uh, he w it, was, it was incompatible with life. And, and he was possibly going to be stillborn or else live a very short time. So they, they knew this, and Samuel was born alive, and he lived 55 hours. So he lived a few, a few days and so the family had some time with him and they were able to take some photos and they had this, these precious memories of Samuel and then he passed away. And you could look at that as, as a non-Christian and it just seems meaningless, doesn't it? You look at that and you think, wow, what a waste of a life. You know, 55 hours, it just, you know, it just seems like that's, that's barely life at all. But from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, doesn't that look so different? Doesn't, doesn't our whole perspective on Samuel's life look so different as a Christian that we recognize Samuel was not just made for those 55 hours. He was made for eternity. So when Samuel passed away, he is right now in the presence of Jesus in heaven. And one day, Samuel is going to be raised up to new life with all of us and he'll have his new resurrection body and there won't be any chromosomal disorders in that body. It'll be a perfected body and he will live on and on into eternity with all of us, 55 hours in this earth, but eternity in the new creation. And that's the difference that Jesus makes. So there will be no more death in the new creation. No more funerals. No more white caskets representing children that have died. No more standing over the graveside of a loved one. There will be no more of that. There's nothing that will even slightly wear our bodies down. Death will be gone. It will be finished. Death is done away with. It's not even a reality in the new creation. All that is there is life and life everlasting. Now, I know that when you start thinking about life everlasting and you think about living for hundreds, millions, billions of years, I know that the sort of the good place thing kicks in a little bit there, right? And you think, well, am I going to get to the point where I get a wee bit bored? If I'm living forever, that's a long time. Is there going to be enough to do? What are we really going to spend our time doing? Well, read on and have a look at what God says a little bit later in this passage. In verse, uh, let's take it from 21. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. 
No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat for as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work. Did you catch that word? The work of their hands. Some of you are just starting to freak out now because you've just suddenly realized there is going to be work in the new creation. And you thought you were going there to escape work, right? You're like, I work at Pack and Save. I'm just pushing trolleys all day. I thought finally by the time I get to the new heavens and the new earth, I'm not going to have to push trolleys around anymore. And this actually makes it sound, it can make it sound pretty miserable. But that's because we have a particular view of work. We feel like some of the time work is boring or work is just drudgery or it's stressful or it's political or it's exhausting. And we want to be in the new creation so we don't have to do any of that stuff. But again, this is only because we lack the imagination to think of what work was supposed to be in the beginning. We're created to work, aren't we? As people, this is actually part of our humanity. Right in the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, you have a look. Before sin entered the world, before the fall came along, Adam and Eve were created to work. God put them in a garden and he gave them jobs to do. Adam was a landscape gardener. Eve was a zookeeper. They had jobs. You know, God said, here's a garden. Get to work. Or do something with it. Stick up some retaining walls. See what you can do. See if you can extend that tree line a little bit over there. Here's some animals. Do something with them. I don't know. What do they need? Feeding? You know, do, just take care of these animals. Like, I think what God's intention in the beginning was that Adam and Eve would take this as a project. That it was, creation was good. It was very good. But it wasn't completed. And God intentionally left the sense of, here's a project for you to do. Now go and create and flourish and thrive and create culture and society and invent stuff and extend out what you're experiencing in this garden to the ends of the earth. I think that was the mandate Adam and Eve were given. So it makes sense then in the new creation, we are going to work, but it's not going to be drudgery, is it? It's not, you're not clocking in, clocking out. You are going to have a job that you love. And it will be so fulfilling and it will be so satisfying. Can you think of that thing that you do and you, when you're doing it, you just feel like, oh, I am just made for this. And maybe you don't even get paid for it. Like maybe that's aside from your actual job. But that thing, you know those moments and you're doing that thing and you feel like, man, I'm in the zone. I'm, I'm alive right now. I'm doing what God made me to do. That may be an inkling of what God is preparing for you in eternity. Who knows? Who knows that what you're doing now in this life is just preparing you for your true job in the new creation, for your real job that's coming in the new heavens and the new earth. You may look back on this life and think, yeah, I can see God was just preparing me. for That was like my apprenticeship in this life. I thought this was the whole thing, but that was just my apprenticeship. Now I'm in the real deal. Now I'm in my real job and I'm in the zone and it will be so satisfying for you. It will be so fulfilling. It will just be joy and it will be delight and it will be worship, but it will also be work. I don't know what you're going to be doing. You have a think about it. What do you do now? Are you an architect? Maybe you'll be an architect in the new creation. Maybe you can design stuff. You could design buildings for others to dwell in these new cities, if there's going to be cities 
in the new creation. You, know, you could use those skills, but in just a way that you can't even imagine. Are you a doctor? I don't know what you're going to do. It's going to be pretty difficult, isn't it? Every single patient. Yep, you're perfect. You're perfect too. You're going to have to find something else to do. But that's all right. You've got eternity to figure it out. Don't worry. You've got, remember, you've got a whole universe to explore, right? You could, you could be like, I'm just taking off. I'm going to go explore some other planets. I'm going to check this out, you know, and then, and then change careers after 10 billion years. That's fine. You can do anything, but just think, what might God be preparing for me that maybe I just get a little inkling of it? I think sometimes we've got a little, you know, there's that verse in Ecclesiastes that says God has placed eternity on the hearts of men and women. I just wonder whether that's part of it. We have a sense in this life, maybe, just a little inkling of what, we got, what God might be preparing for us. But you can know for sure that whatever you end up doing in the new creation, that will be your true service. That will be your true job. That will be the greatest work that you have ever done. That's the job that God's preparing for you. And you'll love it. Your labor won't be in vain. They will long enjoy the work of their hands, is what Isaiah says. So work is going to be part of it, but it's going to be good work. All right, let's move on a little bit further in this passage. Now, here's a fun one. Jump down to verse 25. Have a look at this. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. That sounds to me, kids, listen, there's going to be animals in the new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth. What do you think about that? I mean, what have we got here? Wolves? Lambs? Lions, ox, serpents. That's an interesting one, isn't it? The serpent will eat the dust. I think that's probably a, a way of saying there won't be evil anymore in the new creation. You know, think about the, the serpent in Genesis 3. And if there are snakes and serpents, they won't be a threat uh, in any way, physically or spiritually, to human beings. So you have these animals that will be part of the new creation. Now listen to this quote by Randy Alcorn, who wrote a wonderful book called Heaven. He says, Adam, Noah, and Jesus are the three heads of the three earths. When Adam was created, God surrounded him with animals. When Noah was delivered from the flood, God surrounded him with animals. When Jesus was born, God surrounded him with animals. When Jesus establishes the renewed earth with renewed men and women, don't you think he'll surround himself with renewed animals? I think that makes a lot of sense. Don't you think so? Well, animals have always been there. They've been there at these particular moments when God has created or recreated and renewed the earth. So why would we not think in the final destination we'll get there and we will be surrounded by animals? But they won't be, well, maybe they'll still be predators and prey. I don't know, but they're not going to be a threat to us. And so we'll be able to hang out with whatever animals we want. You'll be able to go swimming with the sharks, kids. What do you think? Swimming with the great whites. You'll be able to put your hand into the snake pit and no problems. You'll be able to hang out with the tigers, just pat those furry animals and cuddle them all day long. No threats, no danger. It will be so fun. Hey, think about this. What about animals that are extinct? What? You know, maybe God is going to recreate these animals that are not even part of the world that we know now. That is amazing. You could ride on a T-Rex. <laughs> that would be so cool, wouldn't it? Imagine, you know, you might, you might see a mower. You know, these animals that we know, they've been part of, the, part of the earth, they've been part of the world, 
and maybe in the new creation. They'll be renewed. Maybe God will even create animals we don't even have that have never existed. Maybe he'll create brand new animals that are just going to blow your mind. It's going to be incredible. Now, here's a little question that does come up because this is a tricky one. What about your pets? (laughs) What about your pet rabbit, Mr. Chuckles? That's where it gets challenging, isn't it? Because even if there are animals in general, is Mr. Chuckles going to be there? My expert answer to this is, I don't know. (laughs) I don't think the Bible gives us enough information to know about that. Maybe Mr. Chuckles will be there. Maybe. Uh, But maybe not. We just don't. Animals, Animals don't have, they're not redeemed in the same way that people are redeemed. Right? They don't have a soul in the same way that people have a soul. So there are a lot of differences between human beings and animals. But still, if God's going to create a new world with new animals, maybe there will be some specific ones there. We don't know. But kids, you can know this. Even if Mr. Chuckles is not there, there's going to be so many other cool animals, it's not going to matter. There'll be so many other fun animals for you to play with. You're not going to worry. You're not going to mind. It's just going to be incredible. So animals are going to be part of the new creation. Now, here's a really important part of all this. I just want to draw us back to the center of the whole thing. In verse 24, this is God speaking. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Now, what that reminds us is that in the center of the whole new creation is God himself. You know, sometimes to our shame, we can go off on a a whole track with this and we get all excited about the new heavens and the new earth. and, And I think God is like, um, hello, I'm actually going to be there. And it's actually about me. So the prob- here's the danger for us. We, we live now in a really consumptive culture and we are conditioned to be consumers and fairly selfish consumers. So when people like us start thinking about the new heavens and the new earth, we just think it's going to be a consumer paradise. And we think, oh, it's going to be shopping malls. I'm going to have this amazing mansion. I'm going to go to Disneyland every day. Well, maybe it might be like that. But just remember, at the center of the whole creation will be God. And everything that we do will be for Him. It will be from Him. It will be through Him. It will be to Him. It will be an act of worship. When you work, it will be worship. When you play, It will be worship when we hang out in community. It will be worship when we hang out with the animals. It will all be worship. Because think about this. In the the present, what is one thing common to everyone in this room? We all have a sin nature. Right, Right now, every one of you, every one of us has a sin nature. And what that does to us is it makes us selfish. It distorts us and it makes us just want whatever we want. Think about in the new creation, you won't have that. So what will you desire in the new creation? You will desire God. You know, without the sin nature now that just makes you think, I just want my needs met, my satisfaction, my gratification, what you will desire is God. You're just going to want to love Him and serve Him and worship Him and everything you do, you are going to want to please Him. And as you worship God, that's what you will get satisfaction from because that's what you will desire more than anything. Your greatest satisfaction will come from knowing that you're in communion with God and He loves you and you love Him. And there is this relationship between you that is more immediate and intimate and close than anything that we experience in this world. 
God says, before you even call, I'm gonna answer you. Before you even finish speaking, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna respond. It's, it's that immediate. It's that close. And that is what we are gonna love more than anything else is being in the presence of Father and Son and Spirit. And it won't be a chore. Worship won't be a chore in the new creation. It'll be a joy. It'll be our delight because that's all our hearts are gonna want. In the present, it's all mixed motives and often selfish motives. But in the new creation, nothing but God's love for us and our love for Him. So as we think about the new creation, let's always, always, always keep God at the very center of it. And remember that everything that happens there will be from Him and through Him and to Him. And it's all an act of worship towards Him. So I hope that this passage can get you a little bit excited about the new creation. And, and you can feel, free, I mean, we've done a little bit of this this morning, but you can feel free to let your imagination go. As long as it's biblical imagination, it's not just a flight of fancy, but you can imagine what life will be like and some of the joy and some of the goodness that will be there. And we're still just looking into a fog with this stuff, aren't we? Because we can't really get to grips with the, the, the fullness of it. But you can imagine, and it's important for us as Christians because we also want to have an accurate view of where we're going. We want to be able to talk about this actual place that has a real name, the new heavens and the new earth, so that we can understand that and we can have conversations with other people about it without airy-fairy language and airy-fairy place names. And it's important because it gives you a sense of meaning in your life in the present, doesn't it? To know your life is going somewhere and that it's not all about the here and now, but God's preparing for you. Just as He's preparing a place for you, He's preparing you for that place. And the things that you're doing in your life now, the gifts God's given you maybe, and the story He's weaving through your life, the experiences that He's allowing you to have in some way, we may just find in the new creation, all that has been preparing us for our true home in the new creation. C.S. Lewis wrote the very last book in the Narnia series, The Last Battle. And right at the end of The Last Battle, he describes heaven. And in the book, of course, it's Aslan comes and takes the children and they finally arrive in Aslan's country, which is the true Narnia. And they find that the old Narnia, that's just been a shadow. That's just been you know, nothing compared to this true Narnia that Aslan is finally bringing about. And C.S. Lewis includes this wonderful description of what that true Narnia is like, which is a description of the new heavens and the new earth. And I'll close with this. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. Truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's where we're heading. New heavens and the new earth. Let's pray. God, we're excited about that place that you're preparing for us. And our hearts just are lifted up, Lord, and, and we're expecting and, and anticipating such incredible things. And all this, as we read your word this morning, we just say, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray you'd come back soon and renew this world. Lord, all the brokenness in this world and all the brokenness in our lives, we thank you the day is coming and all that will be taken away. And there'll just be your presence, your glory in this place. We look forward to that, Lord Jesus.
Father, in view of that picture, help us to live lives here that worship you and serve you and love you. And help us to talk to others about this new creation, Lord Jesus, because we want as many other people to be there as there can be. We know that's your heart too, Lord Jesus. And so we pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to be about your work in the present, that many, many, many others may be with us there on that day when we see you face to face. We thank you. You're such a good God and you have such good things prepared for your people. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.